0: Hey everybody, this is episode 49 of Artist Soapbox. Hello and welcome to Artist Soapbox, a podcast featuring Triangle Area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am Tamara Kassane. Amelia Freeman-Lind is the owner of Freeman's Creative, a new shop in Durham, North Carolina, offering handcraft supplies, creative classes, and gathering space for Durham's creative community. Amelia has worked as a theatrical prop maker, stagehand, restaurant manager, and handcraft instructor, and is thrilled to have the opportunity to share her love of making with friends, neighbors, and customers. Freeman's Creative believes that creativity is a life skill, you can find the shop in the Lakewood Shopping Center next to the Scrap Exchange. In this episode, we talk about Amelia's decision to open a brick-and-mortar store and her first year in business, sustainability and consumerism, and the value of handmaking work in community. We can all see ourselves as creatives, and everyone is welcome. Enjoy the episode. Hi Amelia. Hi, good morning. Thanks so much for being here. You are the owner and manager of Freeman's Creative in Durham, which is coming up on its 1-year anniversary this fall. Yes, we opened November 10th, 2017. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. That's very exciting. Take us back in time a little bit. How did you develop your interest in craft and DIY? Um, so I grew up in a
1: Pretty creative family. I feel like there were always a lot of projects, at least being started. Um, <laughs> and uh, I also got involved in theater around third grade, so there were always costumes to be made and sets to be built. In high school, my theater teacher was, uh, you know, a big proponent of everybody pitching in. You were always backstage or building costumes, building sets. So um, lots of hands-on making. Um, and that definitely started me out pretty early on on crafts. And I learned to knit when I was eight years old from my
0: grandmother. Um, so it was just sort of always projects around. Mm-hmm. And then did your interest in this type of work deepen as you got older? How did you Transition into making this something that you wanted to spend a majority of your time doing?
1: Sure. Um, I'd been thinking about having a handcraft store for quite a while. I lived in New York for 10 years um, and I would just always kind of pass little storefronts and be like, oh, that would be a nice place for a yarn shop. I lived in Astoria and we really didn't. I was jealous of all the yarn shops and Brooklyn and Manhattan. <laughs> and I was like, oh, we have so so many creative people in Queens. We really should have our own. So just always percolating a little bit. Um, and when I moved to Durham and I kind of knew that theatrical prop making was not going to be a full-time career for me, uh, it was just always a little bit in the back of my mind. Um, so it took about three years from the time I left my, well two and a half years from the time I left a full-time job to really get the the shop open that was about three years ago um and part of it was just you know something that I really wanted to do I'd always kind of liked the thought of having my own little space um, and part of it just really felt like Durham needed a resource um, for supplies and also kind of as a gathering place mm-hmm. and so the shop is in the reuse Arts District. The Scrap Exchange is founded. So um, hopefully the next few years will be lots of creative businesses and organizations, kind of a hub for all kinds of creative activities.
0: So let's talk about the fact that you decided to open a brick and mortar versus having an online store. Yeah. Why did you make that decision? It seems to make things a little bit more complicated in some ways? Sure.
1: I think a lot of people had that question for me when I was
0: talking about the shop.
1: Um, number one is just I'm not interested in selling things just for the sake of selling things. Um, I think there are a lot of good reasons to do online, and, and definitely it's a hard time to do a brick-and-mortar retail business. but. Uh, I really like the personal interaction. I really want there to be a space that people can come and ask questions and feel materials and see colors that I think is really lacking in an online shopping experience. And also just that it's nice to have that space to kind of meet other like-minded people. We have such great conversations in the shop. We have a craft club every Sunday afternoon um, and every second and fourth Thursday that have had really big turnouts. I think people are really kind of craving that contact with other creatives and makers. And my great-grandfather had a hardware store in Connecticut, and so my grandfather has always talked a lot about growing up in the store and all the people that he met and all the characters. And I think I have probably a little bit of a romantic idea about being like a little community business where you have your regulars and people pop in to ask a question, even if they're not buying something. And it's just really kind of a hub of community
0: activity. When we spoke on the phone, you mentioned the longtime tradition of handcraft being a social activity. And I like the idea of people coming together, doing this work, and also having the opportunity to have conversation and to show each other the, their, where they are in their process. It seems like something that if it's if it's an interest of yours, you need other people to appreciate the amount of work and the achievements that you are, that you're doing?
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, We definitely at this point live in a commodity culture. Anything that you want, you can find. Somebody's making it, somebody's manufacturing it. And there's a real difference to making things yourself, and it's not a necessity at this point. Um, So having a community is really important, when you're working on projects that kind of take longer than just stopping by the store, it's really helpful to have people that do appreciate the work that goes into it. I think a lot of us who do, are handcrafters who do knit and sew and make things have plenty of conversations about, you know, who we won't give a handmade item to. <laughs> we know who will appreciate these things. Um and there's just always times when you kind of are running out of steam on a project where having cheerleaders is great and having some accountability is good. It's nice to be able to show your progress. It can feel like, you know, if you're if you're knitting a hat, it can feel like, oh, I've been doing this forever. And if you are seeing people on a regular basis, you're like, oh, actually, mm-hmm. I did this much since last week. So it helps you kind of track time, too. Do you also offer classes? Yes, we have all kinds of um knitting and sewing and crochet and indigo dyeing has been really popular. I talk with a lot of different ages of makers and people that craft. And I talk with a lot of people who had home ec in school, who learned to sew as part of their education. And then I talk to a lot of people of my generation, I'm turning 35 this year, um, who did not have that in school, who didn't learn some of these what I kind of think, of, I think of creativity as being a life skill, mm-hmm. um, but it's not necessarily covered as part of your education, just like a lot of things like changing the oil in your
0: car and, and, and stuff yeah. that
1: 50 years ago was just kind of like everybody knew how to do it. Mm-hmm. You could replace a button and mend a pair of pants and knit a pair of socks. Uh, my grandfather says he learned to knit when he was in the Air Force. That was just something when people were not with their wives who had been doing those jobs for them, you just kind of pick it up and learn to do it. And so people of my generation lacked that in in school. And I think the generation before mine was sort of appreciative of the convenience that came along with a lot of changing manufacturing processes. So a lot of people's parents had grown up knowing how to sew, but Fast fashion started to become a thing. It was a lot easier and more affordable to purchase clothing, and so you didn't need to do it, and so they didn't pass those skills along. So I just see a lot of people interested in in picking this up because it wasn't covered for them, and I can't tell you the number of weddings I've been at where somebody is like missing a button, and I've sewn it on for them last minute. It's just the little sort of – every. it feels like little everyday tasks that just haven't been covered for people that – I think, give you a sense of kind of confidence and capability that Mm. is nice and I think feeds into other areas of your life. If you're Mm. like, I don't know how to sew a button on, that can make you feel like that's somebody else's job. You don't know how to do it. And it's really not hard. Uh, I feel like once you kind of sew a button on or learn to sew an item of clothing or make a quilt, you kind of feel like, oh, yeah, you just follow it step by step. You learn this little by little. It's not that hard. Maybe I can tackle these other things in my life. I've wanted to do this other kind of project. If I just break it down into the steps, mm-hmm. I can do it. Because I tell people all the time when they're learning to knit or learning to sew, I'm like, this isn't rocket science. This used to be basic skills. You don't have to do it. Like, if you're not enjoying it, it's not a necessity. But it's really totally possible for just about anybody to sew a shirt. Mm-hmm. Like, you can do it. It's not engineering.
0: When we spoke on the phone you mentioned this idea of the, uh, the lost generation of knitting and, and handcraft that I think you know you and I kind of fall into of not I talked about my grandmother who could make anything I mean she made all of her children's clothing she knit, she made lace she made quilts she made all of her grandchildren nightgowns every single year with matching bathrobes. And she made Christmas ornaments, this enormous uh, output of beautiful handcrafts that we really loved. And yet I never learned how to do any of it. It just wasn't prioritized in our family as something that was a cool thing to learn. And I think it's this idea of getting swept up and the coolness of convenience and everybody wants things to be fast and you know you want to be able to go and purchase it for the lowest price and some of and and it used to be when my grandmother was making all of these things as her children were growing up this was the A savings it was the most economical choice was to make it yourself and recycle it and repurpose it in your own home and now you can go to walmart and buy a t-shirt for three bucks lickety split in your home and you didn't spend any of that time so the approach to the making of things is different now than it was um you know 10 years ago 20 years ago 30 years ago um so I think people have a different type of relationship to this type of work. Why do you think people are returning to learning this other than increasing the sense of competence that you're talking about? It's like I I personally know that sewing a button on is not hard. And yet it would be hard for me because I never learned how to do it. And so it creates this kind of low-level anxiety and like – a fear of incompetence. It's like, what would I do if I had to sew on a button and I couldn't sew on a button? So so in some ways, it increases our feeling of competence. But what else does it do to, to learn how to make these things?
1: Yeah, I think you're. there could be a whole podcast series just on <laughs> Um, traditional handcrafts and women's work and why maybe our grandmothers had such a productive output. That's a whole separate question from what you're asking right now. Um, But, you know, I think there are a lot of different trajectories that are kind of meeting and an interest in what I think is sort of the practical handcrafts. Um, And some of it is nostalgia a little bit. I do think people are like, oh, I... I know this was a thing and I didn't learn how to do it. And I know my grandmother did it and my mother didn't. So I'm kind of interested or I learned to knit when I was kind of small and I never really picked it up again. And so there's some of these sort of memories, family memories, um, that bring people back to it. I also think an interest in sustainability is really driving it a lot. People are really, in the past 10, 15 years, I think there was a lot of interest in Um, ending sweatshop labor in in the 90s, a lot of pushes to move away from sweatshop labor. And now we're seeing people develop a little bit more of an understanding of what goes into the manufacturing of all the products and things that are in our homes. Tying back to the kind of generational difference, you know, a lot of people growing up had one good pair of shoes. They had a nice dress. We didn't have the same sort of this idea of fast fashion. And clothes were kind of made to last, and they cost more, and people didn't change out their wardrobes quite so often. And as the cost of manufacturing has gone down, and some of that's just manufacturing processes, and some of it is expectations, and some of it is uh, what we're paying people who are making our clothes, and so people start to think, "Okay, we had this push against sweatshop labor, but if I can go to Walmart and get a shirt for under ten dollars, some of that is materials cost, some of that is factory cost, and some of that is labor costs. If I sit down and I learn to sew a shirt that's similar and I bought my fabric for ten twenty dollars, and it took me three hours to make it. And I ended up with a very similar product to what I bought for under $10 in Walmart. What does that mean about the person that Hmm. made that garment for me? Mm -hmm. Um, Because if you don't think about it, it's very easy to just consume things. And when you start to make things for yourself, it's kind of hard to ignore the fact that everything we have in our lives was made by somebody else and what that human cost is. I do think as people are interested in sustainability and in, you know, at the root of sustainability is how do we sustain the production of the levels of things that we're used to in our lives? And, you know, I think most of the people that are interested in handcrafts for this reason are realizing that most of our manufacturing processes are not sustainable. They use more resources than we have available They use more human resources than people can can continue to churn out and still have a life that allows for relaxation and family time and, you know, basic needs. And that we can't continue to consume in the same way and still have a planet Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, on a, you know, environmental level and on a human level. So, one of the things that's been really interesting for me, having the scrap exchange in town and being part of the reused arts district, is that I do think that people that come to my shop are already kind of thinking about that. It's kind of incredible the amount of materials that the scrap exchange has donated every week. I think a couple years ago, I just the number that sticks with me is I think they were having 4,000 pounds of materials donated every week. Every week? Yes. Wow. And their mission is to keep materials out of the landfill and divert them to artists and. Teachers and other people that can use those materials. And if you think about like that's what's going to one reuse art center in Durham, North Carolina, how much is going to the landfill? Because it's clear that we're just consuming at a rate that's unsustainable.
0: Right, right. Well, it certainly increases our intentionality because I think in some ways it's you must slow down. You must slow down in order to make. And that is a gift. Right. to to people who have who have the space to slow down, who have the need to slow down, and um speaking of intentionality, I know that the naming of your business was a very intentional choice. How did you settle on the name Freeman's creative as the name of your storefront?
1: Yeah um, I think that it's interesting to be on um the Artist's Soapbox because we have the word artist is pretty loaded. And I think we have a lot of ideas about the word artist and about the word craft and kind of what those imply. But I I really feel like everybody is creative. I think if you watch a group of kids, you see, they, they'll come up with an idea a minute and, you know, go for hours just kind of on their own imagination. And I think we get, we lock ourselves in as we get older into what we can and can't do. Um, so I didn't want to Really limit who could see themselves spending time in the shop, um, and, and encourage people to to make things. I really do believe and hope that that making things encourages a mindset shift for people, where you kind of shift from thinking yourself as a passive consumer to really a creator and a problem solver. So if you, again, going back to that sewing on a button, if you know that you can sew on a button, and then you know that you can sew a napkin, which is a good beginner project, and then you know that you can sew a kid's shirt, and then you know that you can sew formal wear. You you can kind of go from there um, and build it up, but it's really not necessarily just in the handcraft realm, but I think if you can think of yourself as creative, if you can learn to do some of these arts and craft skills, you kind of realize that any type of problem is is achievable or surmountable. You can you just kind of have to think creatively and work your way through it.
0: It's so interesting. I love that creative is in the title because I think it's such a warm invitation for people. And as as you're saying, it's it includes such a large group of people who can walk through your doors. I know that some people would not feel welcome if it said, you know, Freeman's Craft store, or art store, or supply store, or something like that. I I personally have some issues around this idea of of craft, and they are my own issues because I don't see myself as a crafty person. And so, I would I would think, oh, I can't go in there. You know, people will discover that that I can't do these things. And but I do think, all right, I'm a creative person. I can I can approach this with a creative mindset and the idea of making a napkin, is thrilling. It's like, I actually could do that? That's amazing. <laughs>
1: so. Right, and just the root word of creative is create. Yeah. Uh, I really see that as type any type of thing that you can make, and it doesn't have to be handcrafts. I have a really creative family. I have writers in my family. They're creating content and words. I have gardeners in my family. They're creating food. You're taking one thing and turning it into another. Um, it's really... For me, like, the inspiration of my life is like, oh, you can make things. Yeah, yeah. You're a creator,
0: not a consumer. And once you get into the groove of that, it, it, it spreads throughout your life. So first you're making a napkin, then you're making meal, then right. you're, you know. And you think, how hard
1: can <laughs> it be? That's right. You know, I made a dress. Like, what, what can't I do? I'm unstoppable.
0: Right. So as as we mentioned earlier, you're coming up on your one-year anniversary. What have been some of the biggest discoveries over the past few years as you've geared up to open and then you launched Freeman's Creative?
1: Well, the nicest thing is, of course, you know, I've been saying for a while building up this business that I really felt like Durham needed this shop. And it's been really wonderful to have a response from people that walk in the door and say, oh, yeah, we really needed a shop like this. You're like, yes, I was right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, both on a Uh, financial risk and uh, you kind of need people to come if you're going to stay open as a business and just, um, you know, that connection with the community. I had a lot of conversations where we were like, yeah, it would be really nice if we could get these things here to have that kind of validated. Um, But clearly, I don't have a business background. I studied theater in college and worked as a prop maker and have worked uh, as a restaurant manager and done a lot of odd jobs. So this has been a major learning experience for me. Um, I do think, similar to what I hope the shop is going to do for people as makers, that I had to have a major mindset shift um, to be able to get the shop open. I could have stayed in the the research and development phase Mm -hmm. for another two or three years. I was really, you know, reading all the books and listening to all the podcasts and trying to get ready. And I think that's been just the biggest thing for me was having a shift in the way I thought about starting a business and it, it's kind of rippling out into all kinds of layers of my life where it's really just at a certain point you have to start if you want to open a business you can research as much as you want you want to be a certain level of prepared and ready but at a certain point you just have to do it I'm always like I wish that uh, just do it wasn't already taken yes. as a yes. trademark sort of a thing, but um, if you want to make something happen, you just have to start. Um, whether it's artwork or sewing or building a house, like at a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. And if you don't get to the point where you just start it, it's never going to happen. And so, getting the business open was at a certain point like. What are the things I literally have to do if I want to have a business? It's not reading a book. It's looking at commercial spaces. It's figuring out my financing. It's opening a business bank account. It's setting up wholesale accounts. It's all this stuff that doesn't really feel like why people get into businesses that they're passionate about because there's a whole lot more that goes into it. But I think that that is just having big repercussions in the rest of my life where I'm like, oh, yeah, I do want to do that thing. And if I want to do that thing, what's the first step? How do you start that? And I, I do see that as really connected to, to handcraft and making because I, te- I talk to a lot of people who are really intimidated by the thought of making clothes or learning to knit or, you know, learning any of these kind of craft skills. And it's pretty low consequence (laughs) if it doesn't go well you just have to start and the first part is not going to be perfect with the business I'm definitely learning so much Um, I keep saying I'm really looking forward to year two because I'm gonna have so much data (laughs) which has not been a thing I've said in the rest of my life as a kind of creative brain person so much of what I'm doing right now is just kind of guesswork or intuition where you're like, well, I think people are really going to like this. I think this is what people really want to learn. I think these are the materials that people really need for their projects. And I'm just like, year two, I'm going to have all the data. I'm going to be like, yes, we can compare this date to that date. We can compare these sales to those sales
0: and really kind of hone in on on what people are really looking for. You spent about two years doing the research, but then when you decided to actually move forward it was a relatively short time
1: it felt like it went on forever but um yeah really about two and a half years of telling people that my next step was opening a business doing all this reading and podcast listening just kind of like spinning my wheels a little bit and then last may i looked at the space that i'm in now That summer I spent finalizing my business plan in order to be able to secure the space, lined up my financing by the end of the summer, got in October 1st of 2017 to do the renovation and did that in about five weeks Wow! and opened November 10th. So that was a whirlwind. It's still kind of unbelievable to me that it actually is here and is a real store and it's coming up on a
0: year and time. Just moving. What helped you make that shift? You're talking about a mind a mindset mm-hmm. shift um, from that research and development phase to the actual, yeah. you know, looking for and securing a space. What gave you that that launching feeling?
1: I mean, some of it is just you realize enough time has passed that you've got to get your butt in gear, and a lot of it is you know, kind of like the craft club is really helpful for people to get moving on their craft projects or handcraft projects. Um, I joined a women's business group in the fall of 2016, and that accountability has been... Uh, incredibly helpful. So, you know, you want to be able to show people that you're making progress. You don't want to be like, oh, yeah, I'm still thinking about that. Yeah, it's really, the, you know, it's what I'm thinking about all the time. And thinking is really just happening. A right. lot. <laughs> you're like, OK, last last month I said I was going to do these things and I did them like I made an email account for my business, and, yeah. you know, Wanting to have kind of concrete results to be able to share with people was really helpful. And also just having a sounding board, knowing that your ideas aren't just bopping around in your own head and that other people think that they're good or bad or give you feedback. Um, when you get to the point where you're just like, uh, accountants, how is that? a What? How do I do this? Everybody had good recommendations for me. The kind of like, what do people call it on Facebook when you're like crowdsourcing things? It's like the mind... The hive mind, the hive mind is so helpful because somebody will know what it is that you're looking for. And it's really like, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's somebody who's gone through that same thing. And with a women's business group, I feel like everybody's really focused on community over competition, on lifting everybody else up. When one of us succeeds, we all succeed. So that's been incredibly
0: helpful. There are all of these ideas in our culture, I think, about you know the lone wolf or the one one person band. And time and time again, these conversations that I'm having on mic and off, it all comes back to the need for a community of support that there is not only do you not need to do things completely by yourself, but it's not the smartest thing to do, to do something completely by yourself without support, without resources, without turning to our friends and our, and other people in our community to help lift us up. It's actually makes the most sense. And so we see that in the example you're talking about with the accountability around the business group, but also around the community that you're trying to set up in your store. It's like, you know what would be great is if we could all come together and and share our resources and support each other. And it makes us all feel, I think, less lonely and saves time in the end as well. What creative projects are you personally working on? Do you have any time to do your own creative projects?
1: Uh, Well, certainly the shop is my biggest creative project. It does take a lot of my time and my energy. Um, When I left my full-time job, I really felt like I wanted to get this business started, but I just didn't have the kind of brain space and creative energy to focus on my business. And pros and cons to that move, because I definitely was piecing together part-time work Mm. and that definitely drew out starting a business. I didn't have like a big enough cushion to go for two years writing a business plan, but it did allow me really the mental capacity to know what I wanted when I got the business open. So I'm still putting a lot of my energy into growing my business and building my business. And that is feeding a lot of my creative edge. I think most people that are makers and crafters and creative people. You, ha- you have a drive and kind of an itch to make things and do things, whatever it is that you're passionate about. You don't feel like you can enjoy yourself without doing something like that. Uh, I do get to do a lot of kind of work on samples for classes or things for the shop. And so I've always got a knitting project or two or three or four going. Um, so I do have little things like that that are going to be longer term less shop sample focus but yeah a lot of the sewing that i'm doing is for the shop i keep saying i probably need to clear out some of my home supplies to the scrap exchange because if i'm making it right now it needs to be available at the shop if Mm -hmm. i'm knitting or if i'm sewing or really any project that i'm working on i'm like well i need to be able to direct people to this as a resource i can't really be like oh that's something that i got in a vintage shop 10 years ago in New York, you know, that's not really fun for people to be like, I like that project. And you're like, you <laughs> oh, yeah, we do have it. that fabric right here, <laughs> like accessible to everybody. Um, and I'm upholstering a sofa that's been going on for since before the shop opened. So one day that'll get finished. There's always projects.
0: What is this indigo dye that you mentioned? Yeah.
1: So this is being a podcast, you can't see the scarf that I'm wearing. Indigo and shibori are, are definitely trendy At the moment, people are interested in sustainability and in natural dyes, and indigo has a huge tradition in Japan, in Africa. It's a plant that you can make dye from that makes a beautiful blue dye. And the Japanese tradition is shibori, which is basically like a tie-dye technique. So it's folds and it's wraps, and there's stitched shibori, and there's resists. And it's super fun, so it's kind of like tie-dye in that aspect, but you're doing a single color. So you can do a T-shirt or a piece of fabric, and you submerge it into the indigo dye. It's a really fun chemical process, and when you pull it out, it's bright green, and then it's an oxidation process where the bright green before your eyes turns into this deep blue, and you have a long-lasting Dyed item. Um, most denim is traditionally an indigo dye, mm-hmm. so that's the kind of really dark, rich blue color that traditionally came from indigo.
0: But it's a lot of fun. As Amelia mentioned, she is wearing a beautiful indigo scarf. Would you call it? Yeah, yeah, circle scarf, a circle scarf, mm-hmm. and it it does have a a tie dye feel to it, but it looks how to say this much more. Artistic and kind of classy. It's, it's classy, yeah, it's it classy is. Classy tie dye. It's classy tie dye. I love it. It's beautiful and the color is gorgeous too. And it's fun with chemistry, mm-hmm. which is absolutely. You wouldn't know how much chemistry and math
1: is in handcrafts. I feel like every day I'm talking with people. I'm like, oh yeah, we're gonna do some math now. <laughs> you're gonna need that. <laughs> Fasten your seatbelt. Yeah, you're gonna need that geometry. You're gonna need to do some multiplication.
0: Do you have an example of an interaction that you've had in the store that that you're still thinking about?
1: I meet really interesting people every day. A lot of what I'm thinking about is really just some of the types of projects that people are talking about and showing me. But, um, you know, I'm in the Lakewood Shopping Center. I'm part of the RAD, the Reuse Arts District, and Lakewood is having a lot of conversations about gentrification, about transitions in the neighborhood that are really reflective of the conversations that Durham is having as a whole. And the shopping center has been empty for 10 years, but before that was really a big neighborhood hub. So it's pretty exciting to see spaces filling back up, but there's still a lot of you know windows get broken and cars get broken into. And There's just a lot of transition in the neighborhood. So the Lakewood restaurant and Scratch closed this weekend. So I've been talking to a lot of people about that in particular, but also just what's ahead for Lakewood neighborhood, what's in the past for Lakewood neighborhood, the pros and cons of these changes. You know, most people are like, oh, it's so great that we have a coffee shop walking distance. But then there, there were just a lot of conversations particularly around the lakewood about the neighborhood and the changes and who benefits from businesses coming into a neighborhood who gets access to the improvements you can't see my ear quotes but the improvements in a neighborhood and how that changes long-term tenants ability to be there and i think that's happening you know for me on a very small scale i certainly think i have people who come in and don't understand why my pricing might be different from the Scrap Exchange. And I feel really good that there is a resource for pretty much anybody who wants fabric in Lakewood. You got a big price range. Mm-hmm. You can get a lot of different types of materials. And I feel like with a Scrap Exchange, you can really do a lot of treasure hunting. And if you need something more specific, I'm there with a lot of different colors and materials. But, yeah, it's definitely a challenge, and I, I've had some good conversations about it the neighborhood and and what we kind of want to see in Durham and how kind of creative businesses and groups and artists in general can be part of that conversation and what what that kind of role is
0: so what do you want to see in Durham as it relates to your business and community yeah
1: well i think there's there's a great sign over the Durham co-op market that says everyone welcome and when i was thinking about my business. You know, I really wanted that to be part of it. I wanted to have something for everyone. I know there are plenty of yarn shops that want to only have natural fibers, natural materials, which is what I like working with. But I have acrylics and blends that are a better price point. They're great for people doing charity knitting. They're great if you don't want to spend $100 on yarn for a sweater. You know, I want people to come in and find what they need to do the projects that they're interested in. I don't want people to feel like they're excluded or not welcome or that I don't have what they're looking for or that they're priced out of what I have. And that's a challenge because if you want to have kind of quality materials and something that's not big box chain store, it costs a little bit more. But hopefully, you know, with the range that I have, there's really something accessible for a big range of people. I have lots of hopes for Lakewood I, again it wasn't that long ago that it was a neighborhood hub where there were lots of activities lots of businesses and just lots to do and i think no matter your income level if you're in Lakewood you know it's just nice to have a community it's nice to have stuff to do you know it's there's a basketball court down at the scrap exchange there is a kid science program next door the rad lab which is affiliated with splat space as germs, hackerspace and makerspace, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword because if you have resources in a neighborhood, developers tend to see that as a good opportunity to build and raise rents. But it's not really that people don't want resources in their neighborhood. Everybody would love to have restaurants and grocery stores and shops and community centers and activities.
0: It's just kind of like, is there a good way to prevent that from displacing people? Right, right. So you've gathered and you are gathering all of this data over your first year, and I know that you're going to take a look at that moving into the second year. But when you're thinking about the second year just kind of intuitively or maybe you've already been looking at the data as as you've gone through these past several months, what do you think is next for Freeman's Creative? Where would you like to take it?
1: Yeah, I think like a lot of creative people, I have more ideas than time was <laughs> the time. Everyone's like, oh, we could do that, oh, we could do that. And I just have to kind of remind myself it's not all going to happen in the first year. I think we've kind of started off, I keep telling people, I think that the kind of classes and programming will grow as the shop grows. And so a lot of what we've done is intro classes and beginner classes and kind of how-to and starting off. I look forward to kind of training up my... uh my base in their skill set so that we can do, you know, jeans making and bra making and some of the more intensive multi-part classes. And we can do a sweater making class instead of a how to knit class. So I look forward to just kind of advancing the skill sets. And, oh, there's a million ideas. There's a lot of material still on my wish list. You know, you really can't add it all at once. Like what? Oh, I don't have a ton of – I don't have fine fashion fabrics or much beyond kind of cotton and linen garment fabric. So there are a lot of sorts of projects that I don't have fabric that it's suited to. And it's great that we have resources in the triangle. Mulberry Silks has wonderful fashion fabrics. You know, people are always looking to knit a specific project, and I don't have as much of a range in the certain weight they're looking for as they might like. So there's a lot more yarn I'd like to add. Mm -hmm. I don't have – Really, any upholstery supplies, people are pretty frequently looking for things like that. But a lot of it's just like, I'll have a small selection from a fabric line, and I'd like to have a big selection from a fabric line. We haven't done bra making because I don't have any bra making supplies, and you need more specific fabrics. And we haven't done any swimsuit classes. I don't have those materials. There's just always things that you're like, oh, yeah, if we want to do a whole handmade wardrobe... Right. We need some more things. We got to get it, get in, get into the undergarments and the fitness and outdoor wear things. But.
0: I think that if you do a bra making class, people will sh- will show up. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is a thing. This is a problem. I'm here to say, and I'm sure that you oh, yeah, <laughs> would agree. <laughs> Let us build, as a community, a better bra yeah, that absolutely. fits our own bodies, please. So when you... When you have that, I will <laughs> I'll be, put out the bat signal. Please put the bat signal out. The bra all signal. The, all the yeah, the bra signal. It sort of looks like a bat. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone will show up, mm-hmm. and and our community will be better. We'll be happier. Yes, <laughs>
1: that's definitely a skill building one. You don't want to start out trying to sew with uh, lace and stretch fabric and <laughs> underwires and trims and things. You want to start with those napkins, which are kind of one size
0: fits all, right? <laughs> Is there anything else that you would like to share with us before we close? No, I'm just, I've
1: been really excited to be open and have customers. You kind of know you're on the right track when you are excited to go to work every day. And absolutely, it's challenging and hard and complicated in a lot of ways to have a business, and particularly a retail business. But I just really love coming in and seeing my rainbow wall of yarn and meeting new people. It's very scary to start something new. I've just been really thrilled at the response and having so many people kind of share my enthusiasm. You, you can f- really easily feel as an artist or as a maker or as a crafter or whatever terms you want to use for yourself. Like you're kind of the only person who's into this or, you know, maybe you're a little bit of a weirdo. <laughs> and it's just really wonderful to get open and have so many people come out. and go, yeah, I'm really excited about that too. I love what you're doing. This is great. This is just what we needed. You know, there's nothing really as affirming as having kind of that community support so really thank you to to Durham and thanks for having me on and and kind of hopefully sharing the word with more people that there's a resource for them in Durham over in Lakewood
0: wonderful thank you so much for this conversation artist soapbox is a listener supported podcast if you would like to support the podcast please head over to our patreon page patreon.com slash we'll have show notes and lots of other information on our website artistsoapbox.org we are recording today at shadowbox studio in durham shadowboxstudio.org thank you so much amelia and we're out